everybody. Welcome into another edition of Head Coach U. I'm Brian Fisher, joined as always by former BYU and Virginia head coach Bronco Mendenhall and another special guest on the episode this week, Pat Fitzgerald, the head coach of the Northwestern Wildcats. Pat, thank you so much for joining us. Brian, great to be on with you. Coach, it's great to see you, my friend. It's uh, Our profession is, is not as good without you, but it's uh, it's great to be on with you today. Well, hopefully he'll be back in it pretty soon here, Fitz. And, and you know, we, we've had a lot of head coaches on, on on the podcast. Not many of them get to coach at their own alma mater. I, I know Broncos got a ton of questions, and we'll, we'll get into your coaching philosophy, all that sort of thing. But you know, you're you're in a rare position being able to coach at, at a school that you have a tremendous association with. What what? How, how does that make the job a little bit more unique for you? Yeah, I think that word is pretty appropriate. It is unique. You know, it just means a little bit more when you're at your alma mater. Um, you know, you've walked the, the halls, you've lived in the dorms, you've taken the classes. Uh, when I first got back here, uh, the professors were basically all the same, uh, which was good and bad, I guess, for the team. Um, uh, that, that's because of my fault. Uh, but I, I just think it means more, um, you know, when I walk on, on the field pregame and I'm, I'm seeing former teammates or, or players that I've known for, you know, forever, uh, it, it, it's it, – there's a little bit more weight on your shoulders, I guess. Um, the uh, celebrations after the wins, I guess, are a little bit more uh, fun and the, the losses are a little bit more personal. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's a complete and total blessing. I, I wanted to come back at some point, um, you know, in my career. Uh, I had that happen for me at a very young age and I'm, I'm forever indebted to Randy Walker, uh, the, the head coach that brought me back home, who I did not play for. and. Um, you know, it's it's been incredible for for myself, for our family, and uh, just really incredibly thankful. You, you talked a little bit, Pat, and it, it resonated with me when you said um, it makes it more personal. And and that that topic right now has been on my mind quite a bit. And and I think that you're the um, the absolute perfect fit, right, for Northwestern and at your alma mater. And not not just because it's your alma mater, but because of leadership and because of all the things you've accomplished and and the capabilities that exist, and and somewhere in there, um, it possibly means college football isn't going just to hiring favorite sons, right? And there, there there's an approach, and and maybe players are a little bit more commoditized. Um, um, and so I'm I'm just anxious because you use the word personal, which I I really like. Um, and I understand the weight that comes with that. And because of the additional responsibility, do you think that that affects on maybe your success or, or the speed in which you can align at an institution and maybe how fast you can get it up uh, and off the ground and maybe staying power because it's personal? Or how do you, I don't know, what have you sensed as you just navigated that? Yeah, I, I think each, each head coaching role and each head coaching opportunity you know, is it's unique and own, uh, you know, set of circumstances. Um, you know, going back when I took over, Coach Walk had tragically passed away and I was 31. And, you know, I, I, I wouldn't admit it then. I, I obviously will now going into year 18. I mean, there's no way I was ready. There's no way you could be ready um, for what is expected. But I had incredible mentors and incredible colleagues and those that were willing to share their wisdom, their expertise, you know, that, that old TV show, I kind of feel like I always have this line of being able to phone a friend, you know, when, uh, when things aren't going the right way, the, the, the head coach office, the corner office in any organization is pretty lonely. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And you, you've got to be able to have mentors, those that you want to emulate, that are going to pick up the phone and give you an ear and then give you some wisdom and, and, and maybe some some opportunity to, to share ideas and, and, and they, them share with you, you know what, I did that back in 84. Here's what I learned. Here's what I would do. Here's what I wouldn't do. You know, that, that, that's invaluable. I mean, I, I just can't put a, I mean, one of the first pr- people I called was, you know, Joe Paterno. And, you know, it took me a little while. Coach back then didn't have a cell phone. So I had to get, track his wife down and it was unique. But I mean, that half hour conversation that coach gave me uh, about his wisdom of, of kind of how he went through his initial journey, um, you know, it, it, again, it just gave me wisdom as I was embarking on my journey uh, in, in this role. And so I, I go back to my initial answer because, you know, I was the right guy, I think, at the right time under the worst of circumstances. And, and my, my mindset at that point was we just lost our, our leader. I've been tasked with keeping this thing moving in a direction that he had it. Let's put the focus where it needs to be. And he had a great, he had a great line, keep the main thing, the main thing. And, and that was getting our family, coach's family, our football family through a tragedy. Then we'll worry about football. And and it really took a year ish uh, until I really kind of said, okay, you know, Hey buddy, you're the head coach. Now you need to take it whatever direction you're going to go. If I were to become a head coach at a different institution right now or or NFL or I'm not sure that th- that there's wisdom there, but I'm not sure I would operate the way I operated that first year. So, um, you know, yeah, you know, Bronco, there, it's a different time. I mean, if you fast forward 20 years from now, I'm worried about our profession. I'm worried about it 10 years, five years from now, because, you know, I think some of the greatest teachers and some of the greatest mentors are those that played our game. It doesn't matter what level you played it at, but you have the ability to relate and you, you, you've, you've had the helmet on. And, and I talk to our staff all the time. When we're developing people, you cannot forget what it was like to look out of the helmet. You know, we're always looking in the helmet, teaching and coaching and correcting and uplifting. But don't forget what it was like when you were that person looking out of the face mask. And, and so, you know, when, when we've got now this trans, I, I, it's a transitional period, what it has been to what it's going to be. We're in this really unique time. And I'm worried that, you know, we're going to get to a point where certain schools are just taking nothing but transfers. And then those players aren't going to have a, a personal interest in the school. Their interest was personal to them to get what they wanted, how they wanted it, where they want all that. But it wasn't because of what the institution was providing. And, and maybe I'm a dinosaur. I don't know. But um, I, I just feel like we're in a little bit of a unique time. I think it's unique as well. And just uh, the last comment you made, I, I don't know, it resonated where um, the the reasons uh, players might be choosing an institution. And, and I can't say for sure in the professional world that maybe assistant coaches or head coaches were choosing a, a place just for the place. A lot of times they were choosing for the opportunity that they got, you know, so mm-hmm. maybe they could be go from an assistant to a coordinator at a place or a coordinator to a head coach and an opportunity mm-hmm. came. And so that's kind of moved down a tier, if I could say move down a tier. And the players now might be choosing not based on uh, an institution, its heritage, its reputation academically, uh, a specific discipline that they really have an amazing interest in. Uh, They might be choosing, as you mentioned, maybe just more transactionally on what can be offered um, outside of the development and an educational capacity, they might be choosing on a whole sep- separate different cri- uh, separate criteria 
that I, I think is maybe what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, I mean, we uh, the, the transfer portal window is open right now, and you, you you don't you know philosophically here we're going to be a high school scholastic recruiting program. Uh, we're going to develop we're going to develop our program that way. We're going to build our program that way, and uh, you know, again, like I said, I may be a dinosaur because I know people are doing it differently, but. You know, you, you've got to be able to fill holes on your roster because that's what ends up happening with the portal. And, you know, we just had this next window open up and we'll, we'll reach out to a young person. And you know, one of the first questions I'll ask is, well, how much money am I going to get for NIL? You know, when I started this uh, in this role 18 years ago, it was talking about, you know, sending information about comparison graduation rates. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it's it's completely different. And I'm not here to say it's good or bad. I'm just it, it just is. It is what it is, and you have to adapt. And um, I, I just, you know, there's there's something about the experience I had as a student athlete where I was able to learn and grow and fail a lot more than I had success and make a ton of mistakes. Um, but I, I think it, it shaped me into who I am today and the person I am as a father and as a husband, as a teacher, as a coach. And uh, it, it, it gives me the opportunity, I think, to have some perspective and you know, just you know, the scary thing for me right now is sometimes, you know, it, there's not all, but sometimes right now, young people in, in our game, you know, they get into a program and maybe right away it doesn't go well. They may get sick. They may get injured. School may be hard. They may break up with their girlfriend. You know, there's a myriad of variables. And, and you know, the, the hardest part of life is transitions and transitioning from high school to college is one of the hardest. And And they make a decision like, you know, this wasn't the right fit for me. Well, I was that guy too. I, I thought I wanted to leave here. I went, but I use this thing called a payphone. You know, I mean, I know kids today don't know what that is. Uh, and and I called home and I called my dad and I was like, you know, I'm not sure this is for me. And he's like, really? Okay, that's great. You sure? You sure this is what you want to do in life? And I was like, Dad, it's really hard. You know, I, I'm not building relationships with anybody. I'm not very good. I strain my hip flexor. I've never worked this hard before. You know, I, I'm just not sure I can do it. And he goes, well, you know, if that's what you think, maybe that's that's what you should do. And, you know, my initial reaction as an 18-year-old is like, wow, he gets it. He gets me. This is great. You know, and then I was like, well, cool. Can you and mom come pick me up? And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. You're, you're, you're making a grown man decision. You can find your way home. <laughs> okay. Uh, so can I stay at the house? And he's like, oh, yeah, you can stay at the house. I'm like, whew. All right, cool. And he's like, but rent's due at the end of the month. It's 500 bucks. And I was like, oh, okay. well, I think I'm going to stay, you know? So I don't know where I'd be in life today if I had the transfer portal. I don't know where I'd be. And again, this is my story. This is unique to me. And I know there's a very myriad of stories with young people. For that kid out there that's me, that's going through this right now, they're not going to find what they're looking for. Yeah. You know, if, if there's a real reason why and, and things of that nature then they, this is a good thing. But um, it just scares me with what we're reinforcing. Uh, it scares me with, you know, really, what are we teaching? Um, I just think, you know, the ability to respond and perseverance and, and the hard work it takes to fight through challenges and really, really challenge you. Like my transition from high school to college was no harder challenge than I've ever had in my life. My mom and dad didn't go to college. I didn't have a lot of perspective. I wasn't a great player. Um, but I'll tell you what, if it wasn't for my teammates and coaches, I would have never, ever, ever have gotten through that time because I at least had a teammate that heard me say what I said to my parents or my dad. And I, I built a relationship with him because he's like, come on, man, Fitz, don't leave. 
we'll get through this together because we're, we're freshmen together. It's to me, that's, that's what it's all about. But you know, we're not, we're not in that world right now. It's very transactional and um, not every, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to paint this big broad brush, but with some it is. And I'm not sure I'm going to be, and we're going to be as a program, a great fit for transactional experiences at this level. I love the the term transactional versus what I'm hearing you talk about developmental yeah. and the the chance to develop young people through this amazing platform of college football has been um, one of the most magical things that I've ever encountered. And mm-hmm. it's such a powerful draw and you, you have leverage to teach really great lessons through this game. Um, and what, what I'm hearing you say is the transactional part is overriding the development part. The motives um, are more immediate and and uh, superficial rather than deep, which take patience, right? Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of hard things along the way. And, and quite frankly, uh, as coaches, I think many of the head coaches, and I'd love you to speak to this, uh, we know when you inherited a program, a little bit different maybe than when you and I started of 17 and 18 years of, of doing the job. Um, a little bit different where you had your first year to kind of get your bearings and a little bit of a grace period and, and year two, there was expected to be improvement, but you probably had five-ish years. It was kind of what you probably had before there was, unless it was wildly off the rails somewhere, you had about a five-year window. It seems now where that window might be two and a half to show significant growth in your program. And I'm wondering if you see and how you see maybe the the additional pressures on coaches to win and how fast to win and how that's affecting maybe the development process or lack thereof yeah. in place of the transactional and transfer-ish world? Or do you see a correlation there? Yeah, I, I do think there's a correlation there. Um, you know, I've been blessed. I've been able to I, – I, I've told our ADs, listen, I don't play – I play the long game. I'm not looking about tomorrow. I'm looking at the next 10 to 15 years on what we need to do and – try to put together a program that, you know, when we get now we're in year 18, you know, like when we started a comprehensive mentor program, I, I, I sold our compliance office. We're going to follow the rules, but we're going to tap into a group of powerful, powerful football alums that want to give back and pay back their experience to the guys going through what they're going through right now. And there's so many myriads of things, but when think about this, we fast forward 10, 15, 20 years from now, think about how many, cars are going to be on this train of just connectivity where you never leave the locker room. And, you know, you're just trying to have that forward thinking instead of, man, if we don't get this transfer, we're not going to win. And we need to do this, this, and this to get that person. That's important. I'm not minimizing the importance of talent, but um, I, I think as a head coach, if you can find a way to be aligned with the university and that, and that's yourself and every ancillary part that touches the program on a daily basis, the administration, the trustees or the regents, whatever it may be. And obviously the big part of that is the president or the chancellor. When you're aligned, there is magic that can happen. I mean, it, it is, it is truly something special because there's nothing that brings a community together better than a football Saturday. You know, there, there's nothing like it. And, and it could be the first experience, just a student who has never experienced football walks into a game day atmosphere, their first fall on campus, and is hooked for life as a fan. They're hooked for life of the pageantry and, and the camaraderie and the ability to have just truly a love and a passion for your school. 
Uh, there's nothing like football. And, you know, when you when you start talking in those terms, if you're aligned, everybody can see that vision. When you're not aligned, it's, you know, you didn't win this game last year. And I got five emails from donors that, you know, like that has nothing to do with the big picture. But the way that that the that society is today, I mean, it's it's scary. I, 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 I'm going to get yelled at by our PR team, but I'm not on social media. I don't believe in it. I don't I don't see it as being productive. Um, and and I, I feel really, really bad for a lot of people. That there, and then there is a positive use for it, but I, I just I don't see it in somebody in my role that, that there's nothing positive. And I try to sell it to our players. You guys can be on social media all you want. I'll, I'm never going to tell you what you can and can't do, but you got to understand what it is and what the platform's used for and all these things. But if you want to go down a rabbit hole of just just you want to talk about sucking the wind out of your sail and just getting blown away, and I, again, I don't want to be naive, but at the same time that is not going to influence whether or not I'm going to do what I'm going to do to make our program better the next day I, I, and, and our players uh, experience better. And, and I, and I think I'm fortunate because I do have a longevity, but, but I, I do think we're a little bit somewhat lost because uh, that's what it's all about. It's about developing these people to be prepared for the next 40 or 50 years of their life by using our great game. And I, I just don't ever want to lose that through the transactional mindset of kind of where we're at. And that's, as long as I'm in a leadership role here, that's what I'm going to try to continue to do. Yeah, I love the thought of mentorship, uh, and you've alluded to it a couple times. Uh, number one, as a or a young leader, and how lonely and isolated those uh, corner offices are. It was striking to me when I made my decision to to pause and step away. The the first calls that were happening were from my peers, uh, mm-hmm. so other head coaches in the same seat that I was in, and just desperate. I would use the word desperate to talk to someone that understood um, and wanted to know what was I thinking and, and, and the reasons and, and they're thinking this and trying to sort through it. And the number of those calls w- was really impactful to me. And so even grownups, right, the mentoring, as you mentioned, and Joe Paterno and just a phone call or a text sometimes just mm-hmm. to connect what a lifeline that is just to, to be able to keep going. And, and so when the young people, um, and there's so many values, I'm sure to social media where I'm not on it as well. My wife gets frustrated with me regarding that even. Um, but I, I don't, I, I, all I see is comparison and negativity and I don't see many young people feeling better about themselves after, and then the need to have their own highlight film at practice on a daily basis of, which is just work and development, right? Every day is not a highlight reel. And sometimes that sets this precedent that others' lives are better than theirs. And mm-hmm. and you're just getting this snapshot of, of a falsehood that then perpetuates the comparison and people don't feel better when they see that. Um, and so I, I get what you're saying. And I wanted to pull the thread just a little bit of the five emails from the donors. Um, and so I've received emails and texts and letters as well. And when something's as personal to you as the development of young people, right? And the mentoring and all the time, energy and effort you're putting in at a school aligned um, with the long game, um, with the leader that's aligned with the long game, and then you receive, uh, yeah, maybe some criticism from those that want a shorter game. Uh, I, I'm interested, and I'm sure your 18 years have helped with that. You know, wisdom yeah. kind of comes over time. <laughs> uh, um, how, how have you navigated that, right? So as young leaders, they're listening to us, and they start 
And I've always said, man, the, the playground mantra of sticks and stones may break my bones, but names might never hurt me. It's a lie. Names hurt. And they hurt when you're old and they hurt when they're, you're young. <laughs> and, and so I'm wondering how in this visible position that you have with, with so many different lenses on you um, nonstop, how you manage when there's those that, that don't think, right, you're yeah. doing a great job or right from their lens, they have something to say. So how, how have you managed that? And what advice? Yeah. Would you well, yeah. Well, I don't define, you know, myself and in, in our success based on 12 Saturdays in the fall. Okay, I, I think those are really important 12 days. I, I think those are critically important 12 days uh, when it comes to public perception mm. and when it comes to, you know, those that are going to expound on what, um, you know, your, your ranking is uh, or who you are, how you're ranked as a head coach or whatever that may be. Uh, but that, uh, that ranking pales in comparison to the exit interviews I have with our players to the conversations I have with our players' families, with our coaches. Um, and then the, the humility that I think you need to have in this role to understand the power of influence that you have and the role that you have. And if you're you're going to only be defined by by success in those 12 days, I I, I think this would be a pretty fleeting role. I, 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 I think I, I would much rather go coach high school or grade school football. I, I really – I. And I get it. I know some people are defined that way. I, I'm not, you know, being the head coach is something that I do. It's not who I am. Hmm. You know, it's, 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 it's a critically important role that influences 112 young men and a lot of families and a lot of staff and families and our institution. But I promise you, I'm not working 90 hours a week not to win. <laughs> you know, we're, we're doing, sometimes it doesn't work. We've had two tough seasons in a row, but what I've learned over my 18 years is I need to be incredibly consistent. Hmm. I can't ride the highs of the highs and the lows of the lows. When I walk in here and the rest of our staff walks in and our players walk into a squad meeting, I'd like to hope that they say they know exactly what they're going to get from me every single day. Hmm. And yeah, I'm a jokester at times. And yeah, I've got some passion and, you know, I, I'm, I'm Catholic by faith. I, 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 I go to mass, you know, and for, repent for my sins. I'm not, it doesn't say St. Patrick in front of my name. I'm not, I'm not coming off that way. But what I, what I am trying to say is I'm continually trying to learn and grow. And the people I learn the most from are our players. And then the same thing as a dad. You know, I, I, I have a passion for being a father and I have a passion for being a husband. And it's the same thing with my role as a coach. And I, I think you can do both. I think you have to work your tail off to manage those things. And it's the greatest blessing in the world is to be a husband and a father and, and to be a coach. And I think those are mutually kind of, they commingle. This is, you know, this is something that is combined and you don't have to be at one and not be at the other. You just have to take away your personal time and really manage it to be able to be um, present in both. And that's what I try to do. And then, you know, I, I, I could open my drawer here. It's funny. I, maybe I'll pick it up. But I've got in the last since January, these are these are the letters thanking me. Yeah. For things that our program and again, this isn't me. This is thanking our program for things that they've done. And you know, I read these. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, not to be naive in the areas, and there's other emails that I get that, you know what, well, we gotta fix things. We we we're not doing it right. We gotta correct them, and we're gonna we're gonna jump on that right away. But um I go out of my way a lot of times to read those to our squad, mm. you know, because there's so much negativity out there, especially if you have a tough season 
Yep. You know, and now here comes the talking season when, yep. you know, there's 14 teams in our league. So somebody's going to get picked fourth and somebody's going to get picked 14th based on last year. So I've been, I've been, I've never been one. Uh, I'm sure I'll be 14 this year just because of the season we had. And we've been picked 14th and finished third. So I, I don't really care. But what, what it can be is fuel for your rocket. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to sometimes, and I don't believe in doing this a lot, but sometimes when there's some things negatively said or, incorrectly said about you, your program, a player. Uh, it's a little fleeting, but it, it, it could be used as a little bit of fuel in your rocket of motivation. I don't yeah. think it can be the only fuel because I think it, it, you're going to run out before you get up into the stars and the moon. But uh, yeah. I, it can be a little bit of an accelerant maybe to a week after a tough loss and, you know, or maybe a good way to cap a, cap a week to get the guys stoked up a little bit. Um, but I would hope that my guys would just say that there's just a consistency about the way I approach things. Yeah, a, a, a couple of things. I, I love this this idea, which which already has me thinking about maybe a next speech or a talk about um, what what's your fuel, what what are you choosing as your fuel, and to have a door a drawer, excuse me, with letters um, of substance. What a great grounding effect for a leader. Number one, because we all need it, right? There's tough days in that in that seat. And what a what a cool thing. Uh, so I would scan those same letters of, for best practices for those listening. I would scan those and I had a file notes and letters. So I didn't have the drawer, but I had it on my screen. And so and it was a it was a, uh, wow, just so necessary. Sometimes just show me something positive to remind me that the work that we're doing is impactful and beneficial and others are seeing that. And sometimes uh, the seat, because it's so visible, um, it just, I, I just like the anchoring effect that those letters have for you and your team. The, the next thing that was, I, I love the space that you're creating through consistency. And I think young people, um, they'll enter your building or your office differently when they know who they're going to see, as opposed to which version of you they're going to see. And when that happens, that's occupying space and anxiety and, and getting in the way of them becoming their best selves. But when they know that part, that's one thing they don't have to worry about, and they can focus that bit of a time and attention uh, and awareness uh, elsewhere that will benefit them. And so I love that idea of consistency. And 18 years certainly speaks to it. And I'm sure there's moments that have happened um, off the grid a little bit from that consistency, which means you're human. And and sometimes when you are so consistent, that actually builds more credibility with your team when they see an off day <laughs> and, and sometimes they're the ones coming to say, you know, what's good. We, we got this, you know, when they see a leader struggling and, yeah. and that's, that's really fun. Uh, it still kind of comes back to the development process and why you're doing it, which I, I love and crave quite frankly. I'm wondering uh, if you were to say in the, at the power five level of college football, and I've been so fortunate to work with great leaders as well at presidents and, and boards and athletic directors and that alignment is magical. It's really the only way to me the job is bearable. Um, the, the rewards for the development are awesome, but without that alignment, what a, what a rough job it is. But when you have that alignment, how many, uh, and you don't have to give me an exact number, maybe percentage or what are your thoughts at the power five level of possible presidents and athletic directors that are seeking the long game uh, currently? And we all know wins, we all know, we all know, like you just, it, they have to happen check we we got that i'm wondering um with based on the alignment you're talking about at the power five level right how many want the long game um and i just love you to speak to that without 
maybe a number are just like, um, I'm finding it maybe harder to find, and I'm sure they exist, um, but I'm just wondering your thoughts. Well, you know, I, I think that's a really interesting question. And I will tell you, I, I would assume every head coaching change, day one, we're aligned. You know, that's why we brought you here. You're the difference maker, coach. And, and we, you know, we bought into you. And, and then we wake up the next day and let's see where it's going to go. And, and then there's this, like, I call it the honeymoon period for all these new head coaches. It's like, you need new sleds and you need one more meal. And like, you got to make sure you make, you put your priorities in the right spot. And then the ball goes up in the air. And then we really find out if we're aligned, you know, and and you get to the end of the first year and you you really, um, I I think get a a true sense of, of where we're at as a program, you know, and I, and I try to talk in in, in those terms. I don't try to talk in terms of it, you know, AD me, me president meet uh, our program because we're all part of building that and if you don't see your value being equally if not more important than mine in my role then it's really hard for us to be aligned you know if you just kind of in my opinion when it comes to football if, if you're not hands-on and, and I'm not talking about micromanagement but I'm, I'm really talking about understanding what what the, the things are that are going to make your program successful academically, make your program developmentally successful, make your program successful on the field, right? And you keep going through these different areas that touch your, that kind of make up the, the macro level of your program. If, if there's not an understanding of the why you are successful and the why you're not, you know, I try to do a great job as the head coach educating the AD uh, on, on, on where we're at, where I believe we need to go, how we need to go there. Uh, and, and, and is that a priority to you? Like, and if it's not a priority to you, I have one of two choices then. Then I need to keep that on the list for down the road, or I need to find another way to be able to make us get where we need to go, knowing that right now that's not a priority and that's okay. Um, and, 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 and you build a relationship through that, right? It's not like a straight line. It's more kind of a, a it's kind of jagged. You kind of going back and forth because it's it's just a it's a it's a human business. So there's so much fluidity there. Mm-hmm. So to put a number on how many, I think we all aspire to be that. I think we all uh, anybody who's in a leadership and, and let's say I'm a CEO and you've got your you know your C-suite folks or marketing and sales and da, 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 da. I mean you go across the board. I would challenge how many organizations in the world have alignment from the top down to actually the people that are, you know, for us, it would be our, 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 our quote unquote, our team on the field. But you and I both know coach it's, it's, it, that that's very small compared to the macro level stuff, but you know, organizations at bottom lines, we have bottom lines and where those sometimes get a little blurred and a little, 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 you know, kind of, I think jaded is emotion and ego get a part of decision-making yeah. because of the of the want to be successful at all cost. And I just think that that can be really damaging to decision-making, human development, and long-term sustainability and growth of your organization. And, um, you know, I've, I've talked to folks and I've, I've been in kind of think tanks and, uh, well, it's easy for you. You're an 18. And I go, I haven't really changed since year two. I, I've, I, meaning that philosophy. If I had a change, I've changed exponentially as a leader. But that at the end of the day is my core, along with what we value here from 
the choice of attitude and investment and trust and character and honesty and being a part of something bigger than yourself, a family and respect, effort, response, and, and ultimately making great choices. You know, that's a way that I try to walk the talk. You know, if I talk it, then that's the way I'm going to live it. And I expect kind of the organization to be that way. And that's a pretty simple roadmap in a very complicated world. And that gives me an opportunity then to try to make really good decisions when it comes to the program. And so uh, long answer to that short question, because I, I think it's it's at the core of whether or not organizations are successful. Yeah. And I don't think that, you know, we, we put a lot of hype and celebration on the introductory press conferences of head coaches. I would save the money and I'd just go to work. <laughs> Hooray, I'm hired. Can I go to work? I got stuff to, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, but it's the pomp and circumstance that we have to do. And, you know, you said you mentioned something earlier about the comparison game. Mm-hmm. And, and I learned that as a student. That was a very heavy weight for me to carry mm-hmm. early on in my career. And um, I, 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 I had a great coach in Ron Vanderland, and, and I had an unbelievable head coach in Gary Barnett. And I was wrapping up my sophomore spring. I wasn't doing the things that I should be doing. I wasn't, I mean, I was, if it was eight hours of work, I did eight hours of work. I was there. I, I wasn't, I wasn't going above and beyond. I needed to, all the things that you need to be successful. And Coach Barnett and Coach Vandy were incredibly honest with me. And I needed to hear what I needed to hear when I needed to hear it. But I, I, it was one of those nights, you'll never forget after your spring exit interview with your head coach. And he says, hey, partner, it's this summer, man. It's now or never, you know, we're, you're, you're, you, for you to be able to earn a starting role. And everything that you need to fix is in your control. You know, that night, coach, I, I mean, I went home, man. It was, it was a rock. It was, like, it was like right smack, right to the chest. I mean, it was emotional. I cried. And I, I, I looked myself in the mirror that night and I said, the only thing that needs to change is me. And we're going to start with tomorrow. And I just, you know, I, I remember listening to the speakers. A coach had to put three goals for the next week. And, you know, I, I erased one and I still had two more to go. And I, it took me, I think, the whole summer to get to the last one, uh, which was to get in the best shape of my life, right? Little things as a football player that you think about it, 20 years old, that you, you fast forward to. But what I came to the realization through that that journey was, is that I was comparing my, this is pre-social media, but I look up at the strength records up in the, in the weight room and I was like, wow, I'm nowhere close to those. There's no way I could be a good player. That was how, that's where it manifested in my mind. I fast forward to when I became the head coach, I took all the strength records off. There's, if you walk into our weight room, there's only one picture up in our weight room and that's the huddle of our team before we take the field. Yep. That's why we're doing this. We're, you're, you're, you're coming out of the hole, out of the squat rack or the hang clean, whatever, for that that moment. Everybody loves that moment when everybody puts their hand up together before we take the field to go to go go battle. Everybody, but the 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 work that has to go into that, but you can't fall into that trap of man. I don't bench press 315 pounds yet. There's no way I can start, you know. And and I just I, I think that comparison game is so detrimental to society, and I think it is completely debilitating to an athlete. You know, you need to be your best self, whatever that is. And and we've got to help you as teachers and coaches navigate through to figure out what that is. And then you got to take ownership of it as an athlete and as a person. Like there's some maturity that goes along with that. And I would self-reflect that I wasn't mature enough my first two years to be able to make the statement I just made. And and my wife would tell me I'm not mature either right now, but that's <laughs> that's another story for another podcast. You know, the, there's power in, in the statement though, as I as I listen to the, the story 
And so the feedback you received at an exit interview, uh, lots of lots of players receive feedback at exit interviews. Um, but the relationship you had and the way that you esteemed those you were receiving the feedback from, that's where the change was initiated. You had leaders that you believed um, cared about you and you trusted them. Mm-hmm. And without that, um, that feedback would not have gone, it might have gone to your heart, but not into your heart, mm-hmm. right? You might have heard it, uh, but it might not have um, truly allowed you to, to have the emotion you did that night to become transformed through your choices, right? Their feedback, but your choices. Um, but I think that feedback and choices was connected through uh, the esteem you had for the men you were working with because of number one, right? Their care for you, the honesty in which you knew, or maybe the place they were giving that feedback from, which then allowed you to take that and choose and move forward. And yeah. and so, wow, is the relational part to me um, and the pause that I've taken uh, it, it is, if, if you were to say, what what is um, the definition of, of uh a co- the um, the best parts of being a leader and all that comes with it, the relationships. Not even close. It, not even close. Not not even. There's not even a contender that's on the screen. Uh, uh, that's not even close. The relationships, and I'm going to say, are everything. Even mm-hmm. though we know the results, right? You, as you mentioned, I love the term. Yeah, eventually the ball goes in the air, and then you mm-hmm. check alignment. <laughs> However, if you know the entire time. Uh, regardless of the outcome of that, that relationship can still be forged um, and growth can happen, whether it's a win or a loss. Wow, does that start to reframe when the ball's in the air? And I'll never forget how I felt during the COVID season. This is COVID-19 and they're, they're, and myself one, was one of them. I, I didn't think we, we, we should play. I didn't know we had enough information. I wasn't sure where all this was going to go. And, and right, leagues were choosing and parents were choosing and we're all trying to sort that out. And then the ball went in the air. And amazing, even during a worldwide pandemic, um, some of those same letters kept coming in (laughs) um, based on outcome after playing a football game during a pandemic week one. And and some of my friends were were released from their jobs Mm -hmm. during a a covid (laughs) season. And and it it was uh, it was a really challenging time perspective wise for me. Uh, but the relationships that were formed during that, wow, were they galvanized? There might not have ever been a harder thing to take on, but those relationships, I think were cemented in a way they could never be um, without something to that magnitude. So I love, I love what you're just saying of, of um, yeah, I think the who, as you mentioned, coach Barnett, right. And as you mentioned your, your coordinator or linebacker coach, right. And those are names that everyone knows. Uh, they are to be revered. And I, I certainly hope young people are making choices where they attend uh, based on that possibility uh, because it's so lasting. And I don't think, I'm not sure we are. Um, and I know trust comes with time, right? And, and consistency and results, right? It takes all of that. Uh, I would sure love maybe more emphasis. And it seems like you are emphasizing that, which is, um, and, and I know with your own family. So how are you navigating? I'm kind of transitioning. How are you navigating? Here are the relationships with your team. Yeah. And you mentioned already your family. And I believe work expands the boundaries you set. 
So how in the world as a as a power five football coach and raising kids and I know how you feel about your family. And for those listeners, I used to sit right by Pat on the board of directors of the, the AFCA. He, Pat was on one side and um, David Cutcliffe was on the other. So I had some chance to at least stay straight because I had them one on each <laughs> side of me. And um, but I know how you feel about your family. So what how do you navigate that? And yeah. what advice would you give to the the next young head coach that starts? at 31, maybe like you are. And then how are you, yeah. how am I going to pull this off? Yeah. Well, let me be very clear though, too, coach. I mean, I have failed at that quite a bit and, and it's not because of any malintent. It just happens. And, you know, the way that I've always looked at that is, is that, you know what, maybe we've just run out of time, you know, when a guy's in your program and maybe the relationship hasn't happened or it was great. And then I said apples and he took it as bananas and, there's still time in life. So even though we ran out of time together in the program, you know, that four or five years, there's still road, you know, ahead of us that we can, we can reconnect and, and we can find a way to, to put that relationship in a spot if, if we both want to, and sometimes guys don't want to, and that's okay. And that's, I think it's part of coaching. I think it's the same thing as you're raising kids segueing back in. I mean, uh, I made a statement early in my career that I was going to get fired as, as a coach before I got fired as a father and a husband. Mm-hmm. And I had some great mentors that said to me their biggest regret that were part of the previous generation that do not have the technological advances that we have now, that they found reasons why they had to stay in the office instead of found reasons why they had to, had to go home. And they, you know, we were up watching, we were cutting up video or tape and then it went to VHS and then it went to DVD. And now we get recruiting tape on our phones and, you know, all that stuff. And, um, you know, 31, we just had our first child. And so I'm uh, going into year 18. My oldest son is 18. He's going to walk onto our program next fall. Um, and, and so we only know one way in my house, and that's the ebb and flows of the Wildcats winning and the Wildcats losing uh, in, in, in our family business. And that's the way we've kind of articulated it to our boys is, you know, if, if dad was, if mom and dad were running a restaurant, everybody would come to Fitz's pub. Right. And we'd all, everybody know that we got a great, whatever sandwich or a great burger. Great. Well, that's the same thing when it comes to football. Some people define who dad is based on whether or not we win or we lose. And, you know, is that who dad is? And they're, you know, when they were old enough to get it and they're like, no, absolutely not. Right. So let's, it's dad's job. Right. And, but we're all part of it. And so, if things don't go the way they're supposed to go, what do you? How do you think some of the guys in the playground will act towards you? Yeah, they probably won't be very nice, and they'll probably say some things. And well, what happens if we lose to Michigan? And both their parents went to Michigan, and all week they were talking about how Michigan was going to beat us, and then they beat us by three scores. What's it going to be like? Oh, Dad, it's going to be awful on Monday. Well, good. We'll know that that's going to happen, and just give them give them their chance to smile. And you know, it is what it is, guys. And someday, Dad might not be the head coach here anymore. They may not want dad to be the head coach. That's okay. You know, just talking in those terms uh, and trying to have them relate the reality of what it is. This is what dad does. This is not who dad is. And blessing now 18, 16, 14, three boys uh, that are all athletes. So I think being an athlete helped them understand kind of what, you know, my role is and, and, and those things. Um, but I think as a young head coach, um, you, you've got to prioritize. Again, I, I think you got to walk the talk. And, and for me, when I say to our staff, family's everything, that I need to act that way. You know, we're in May right now. I've got exit meetings here with our guys. It's great. Uh, up until this year, 
This will be the first year that I have not had spring baseball with one of my boys. So Stacy and I were talking about it uh, last week. I'm like, it's so weird me not scrambling out at 348 to make 415 first pitch uh, because I know I can't make the opening kickoff in the fall for a football game. You know, I know that I can, when I come off the road recruiting, I can be at all those just awesome AAU basketball games, you know, in Milwaukee against a team from Chicago that we couldn't play in one of our gyms. Um, but I'm going to be there and I'm going to do everything I can uh, to be there because, you know, my, my guys, when they've been able to have been there to support dad's job, I can, the least I could do is be there to support them. And if that's in a band recital or play at school or whatever it may be, if, if there is an opportunity for you to be there as a coach, in my humble opinion, you got to be there because in the fall, what we do and how we do it is pretty tough to be negotiated, but there's still windows and times that you can find. I mean, okay, I've, I mean, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't, but my boys play on Saturday mornings and afternoons at the high school they go to. If we're playing a night game, I wrap up with our guys, you know, with our team, and I'm going to their high school game. Friday nights now I, I go to, if they're playing on a road on a Friday night, uh, I'm, I'm going to their games. And I talk to my t- my players about that. Like, hey, Friday after walkthrough, guys, I'm not going to be at post-game sna- or post-snack. Uh, I'm going to Jack or Ryan's game. And they're like, sweet. And I'll have guys text me, how's the score? Hey, we got a stream, like – it's it's totally different than maybe I thought it would have been as a young head coach. Um, and so I just I, I think it's it's you can do both. You you said it um, with your line earlier. I, I, I call it your priorities of life. You, you've got to prioritize what's important and, and you got to make sure that you've got uh, those things aligned and, and um, you know, been pretty fortunate to be able to do that. I, I love the idea of family business and that frames it to where everyone, everyone has a role. And besides conversations uh, that you had with your sons in, in advance of a challenge, which I think is really important. Uh, I was a little bit reactionary um, with our first son to the family business and some of the comments that might've happened. And so role-playing became a big, a big thing in my house, just like you're saying the playground that's Monday and we might not have won and here are the comments. And so what are the responses? And what I found was when, when the responses were actually articulated and we just keep working till we found one and we'd all kind of giggle and chuckle. That's a good one. Yeah, that works. <laughs> and all of a sudden those, my boys would go into Monday differently. Yeah. Um, they weren't fearful and there wasn't as much anxiety. They felt prepared because this was going to be part of their life. And yeah. so we'd practice at home um, and role play and, and wow, did I learn a valuable lesson about just how preparation can overcome anxiety. And all of a sudden, something that might have been viewed as challenging could actually be okay. And, and might end up being uh, beneficial in a way of learning how to handle hard things. And uh, the other thing that you, you shared that I think is really powerful is uh, when you choose uh, as a leader to, to invest in your family and show that your work and family can coexist, those players on your team the chance now that because of that modeling from someone that they um, care about and they know cares about them, maybe when they're in a leadership position or maybe when they're in their life, right, they see that it is possible and you can do both. And there was a, a an article or a book one time early on where there's a syndrome of young professional leaders, maybe 31-ish. Um, I think I was 35 when I started as a head coach, so kind of in the same realm. And the book uh, was, was 
thank gosh it's Monday. So these are young, these are men that the weekend's finally over and they can go back to work. Like they were they were so anxious to get back because they didn't know how to navigate being home because they weren't ever home. Right. And, and I thought just what a sad commentary and and it can work. And so it was just really fun to hear. And I know it can work because it has in our family and I know it's working in your family, not perfectly, no. but just, just the effort to do so. I think it impacts our wives. I think it impacts our kids. I think it impacts mm-hmm. our assistant coaches. I think it impacts our players to show that not only can you, it's desirable. And ultimately, if there is a choice, uh, you mentioned, uh, yeah, you're you're going to get fired as a coach before you're going to get fired as a dad and a husband. And that just frames priorities really clearly. And if actions back that up, your credibility as a human being, not just a coach, I think allows you to coach your team more effectively. And so I just I just thought it was just really great perspective. Um, so I um, for our listeners, uh, I, I, I work to be selective about who we have on. And, and uh, Pat has had a huge influence on my career. Um, and navigating uh, a very unique space. And even more so probably now with the world of NIL and the transfer portal and at Northwestern, right? A prestigious academic institution that has so many cool values. And I'm hopeful today that our listeners, you could see the the substance and integrity, but also thoughtfulness and of of what really goes into uh, someone that can remain. It's difficult to stay in the world of being a head coach, especially at one place and for 18 years. And so that alone is remarkable. And Pat, I just appreciate your influence, influence example, but also joining us today. So I just thank you very much. Well, the feeling's mutual. I mean, the times that we've spent together and we've clinicked together and uh, the, the power of influence that you've had over so many young people, our, our profession has a void without you in it, uh, to say the least. And um, you know, my hope is, is that uh, if that's what you choose to do, that that day comes back. And if you choose not to, I hope it's, I know you're an avid outdoorsman. Um, you know, maybe someday you'll teach me how to ride a horse. <laughs> I got a lot of things on a bucket list when, yeah. I, when I'm done with the whistle, but uh, I'll, I just only appreciate do it. the opportunity. Thanks, Pat. I'll only do it if your whole family comes. And Brian, uh, we'll, we'll send it to you to, to close us out. Oh, oh, we we, we got to hold hold you to that on 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 the horse riding there, Pat. So so uh, don't don't sign up for anything that uh, you, you're not comfortable in, in, in doing. But we'll, we'll get you out to the ranch. I'm sure at some point uh, get you on those horses. But uh, we do appreciate the time and uh, best of luck going into next season. Thanks, man. It's been an honor and a privilege to be with you. Thank you. Absolutely. Have a great day, Pat. Thanks so much. Perfect. For Pat Fitzgerald for Bronco Mendenhall, I'm Brian Fisher. We'll see you again next week on the next episode of Head Coach You.